0: and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA.
1: I call sickness. Also
0: joining us, director of Mission, Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Celebrating my fabulous and uninterrupted health. <laughs> joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
2: Well, I thought I was feeling poorly and sickly, but apparently I've now learned that I'm not. Yes. Now we
0: we for those who are new to the show okay. we operate all things that might get sympathy or attention under shotgun rules. That's right. There's only one spot, <laughs> and more often than not, Glenn's going to beat you to that.
1: It's finite. You know, a, a lot of people on the show are are under the weather. Not me. But. You know you've got allergies. Jed's doing doing
0: great. Jed's doing push-ups right now.
1: (laughs) Don't don't (laughs) pretend you're doing well just to make me filled with rage.
3: But if the rage is therapeutic, the rage will heal you, which
1: you know it is. You know it is kind of that is. I am fueled by rage.
4: I feel great. (laughs)
1: I feel better, too. Fred Schneider of the
0: B-52s is with us, and he feels great. That's (laughs) the main thing about that. That was a joke for seven people, four of whom host the show.
2: (laughs) Jed's health is as big as a whale.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That
0: is excellently done. All right, we got some great questions for you here on the show. But first, we have our favorite kind of emergency. Yeah. I must declare, someone sent us free stuff emergency. Woo! We had a care package come in from superfans John and Patricia down there in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, Incredible. that's right. That Melbourne, Australia. I thought they were in Sydney. I'm pretty sure they're in Melbourne.
1: Uh, Well, it's pretty much the same thing. Right?
0: Yeah, we're Americans. Those are the exact same cities to us. <laughs> um, and not only is this momentous because John and Patricia have sent uh, some lovely gifts from whatever city in Australia they live in, London, I think. <laughs> um, so from Paris, Australia, really they send stink. us some things that we've been talking about for a little minute here. This yeah. is
1: a dream come true. That's right. And Glenn, yeah. given
0: that it is your dream, would you like to share what we were sent?
1: Uh, we were sent... Now, this is. Uh, uh, these are super fans that, as, as Matt said, live in uh, apparently some form of... Uh, outdoor bush area in (laughs) australia which i don't think they have cities there according to matt right right i think just sydney is the name of the guy that you know you just if you're near sydney you look here you
0: go i'm gonna anger an entire continent right from wellington australia <laughs> yeah, John and Patricia send us something. Now New Zealand <laughs> hates us.
3: You know what they've got a lot of though. There is the uh, the outback steakhouses, right? Very you can, popular. You get your blooming onion. That's right. right. Well,
0: the yeah, blooming right. ho- the blooming onions just wander the plains. <laughs> <they>? That's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> spit, pick one up and eat it, it in cheese, and you're you're good to go. Well, here's what it is. Uh, you know, these are fabulous people. We, Absolutely, wonderful. We one love the people of yeah. Australia. They, we have Australian super fans and um uh, in this case uh this is a lovely couple john and miss patricia there and uh john occasionally has work with uh, that takes place here in the us mm. so he's on a work trip so in a way that i assume is massively illegal let's go with that he uh brought over meats mm. from australia I don't know where he had them stashed. Now, that's not, I don't, <laughs> let's, I, let's not get into that. Sure, no. Do you a- think he brought the animals with him
2: and then, like, butchered them once he got
1: I, I, There's a. If you want to keep it fresh, you know, yeah, they could just have right. been un, 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 completely unrefrigerated and smuggled across an international border. It's hard to know. It's I hard mean, to know. At
0: this point, TSA is not paying that close attention. I think if you put, like, a hat and a jacket on an emu you could probably get on a <laughs> flight
1: but uh that's right but we, fake it, mustache exactly so we we have various different kinds of meat products we have the uh the authentic australian uh, uh crocodile uh, uh jerky oh, uh, yeah. it says yeah. on here made in australia from at least 95% australian ingredients wow lovely wow. so there's that uh, we also had the uh, uh, emu jerky.: Yes, and that's going we're going get we're going to eat that, and we're going to see what happens. I was so convicted, this was such an amazing gift. I was so convicted, I actually mailed some to Lee. That's right? Incredible. A I mean first. that's a huge first. So Lee
2: will a be a failure in character on your part, I would say. It's really yes. if it had if it, I will also add that if it had been baked goods, I never would have seen a crumb. Nope. W-
1: well that's that's well, I, I think you know that would have to be <laughs> the case. Uh, but we received the Queen Mother of all snack products. We've it's been waiting one. and waiting and waiting. Because, I don't know about the other fellas, but Jed and I both really wanted to eat a kangaroo. Yep. (laughs) It's gonna happen.
4: Yep. For some
0: reason, eat a kangaroo (laughs) is so much worse than eat kangaroo. And look...
3: I, I want to note a sacrifice that I'm making right now, which is... Oh, he's
0: looking at the ranch.
3: Yeah, well, we record in a basement where we store like all of our stuff for the bridge, and we have Dude, a lot of ranch dressing. Industrial size. That's,
1: that's how you bring cultures together, Jed. And, and
3: this is what I want to do, is I want to have my Kanga with my ranch, but so great is my love for the bridge program. No. I'm not going to
1: do that. Not to no. mention your
0: respect for the nation of Australia, because dipping the Kangaroo in ranch is a bootable offense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is, uh, uh, yeah, this is uh, thick cuts of kangaroo with loads of flavor will certainly convert anyone into kangaroo jerky lovers. Well, I'm ready to be converted. The, the package says. So we've got some other things, but we want to focus for now on the, the meats. Sure, the salted cured meats. Uh, now, and, and uh, Lee will... Partake with us. I understand this is how they actually take communion in Australia. <laughs> mm. this, this this kangaroo jerky for you. sacrilege is what God. this
0: our bit about international disrespect was missing. <laughs> we love all oh. of our listeners. I gotta be honest, I can't believe anyone listens to this. No, no, really, no, you are confused know. by and adore you all. And now to. Exactly to Jed's point, everyone's favorite audio content, middle-aged men chomp on things. <laughs> yep, get ready!
1: Right, Jed's got the kangaroo. He's I, going in for the I first
2: the emu. While the eating happens, I just want to say a couple of things. One is, uh, for John and Miss Patricia, you need to know that possible... Uh, Possible illegal things that you're getting away with. Nothing makes Glenn happier than that. That's definitely true. So that's like Christmas already for for Glenn. Christmas, birthday, the whole thing. The other thing I want to say is, other podcast listeners, where you
1: at, man? Yeah. Where you at? Hey, Do you love us? Do uh, you want to step up to the plate? Let me tell you what. Take whatever podcast, Christian podcast you're listening to. Are they eating a kangaroo on there? No, they are not. <laughs> Again,
0: it's the definite article, a kangaroo. That is so concerning. Maybe it's an indefinite article. Leave me alone, nerds. Um, I got to say, I'm, I'm eating some crocodile jerky right now. Okay. It's delightful, first of all. I did help make the horrific mistake of looking at the nutritional information. Oh, don't do oh. that. And uh, per 100 grams, so uh, the, the bag, John and very kindly said us is about 50 grams total. Uh, but they have the per hundred gram service. The sodium for a hundred grams of this is sixteen hundred milligrams. Whoa,
1: that's up there.
0: And they didn't. Uh, so it's it's good and salted. It's delightful.
1: That's well, kind of now. A here's one turkey. thing I did: is I I decided to get a good deep whiff of the kangaroo. And <laughs> I've never really been near a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure this is what they smell like on the outside as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm eating the kangaroo. I don't think I've ever tasted anything quite like the the kangaroo. Yeah, I hope the part I ate was the pouch.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Come on. Yeah, that's that is all very very cool. Now we did not only have meats. As the fellows finish chewing here, I will move on to the next aspect of the care package, and one we are delighted to receive. We were also sent four stuffed animal mascots. Yes. Okay. I mean, there's four hosts on the show. Oh, and there's I also just found some Vegemite. Oh, nice. Mm. So there you go. I, if you ever wanted to live inside a minute work song, you put that on sandwich and offer it to someone. Again, I don't know why I'm, we're making jokes from 1987, but that's when America stopped learning things about Australia. Is the okay. reason? So we've got some animal mascots,
1: and they I like think stuffed animals.
0: Yes, being that there's four of them and four of us. It only makes sense, and I believe it was John and Patty's wish that we would each be able to claim one as our our familiar, if you will. Mm. Right. So, but I think the choices are important on this. Right. So uh, let's let's go through the options here. We have a uh, an adorable stuffed koala. Okay. clutching a bit of eucalyptus. Mm.
1: Nice. Okay.
0: Uh, we have a uh, kangaroo, of course, of course. once Looks again.
1: Like a very small kangaroo. Tiny
0: kangaroo. Looks like it's coming out of a pouch. Delightful. We have a platypus. Yeah. Nice. Delightful.
1: Fantastic.
0: Secret agent hat sold separately. Okay. We have the Australian national bird, the kookaburra. Ooh. Now, wow. I think we start with the obvious. I think yeah. we start with the realistic. I think we all know Jed gets the bird.
1: Yep. Yeah. Jed yeah. should definitely have the bird. Jed, as is, is, is listeners of the show know, is a bird owner.
3: I, I Not just a bird owner,
1: a bird enthusiast. He's mm. a bird care He's provider. He's a bird survivor. <laughs> he has a, a, a checkered relationship with the bird, but maybe this will...
3: Uh... I think the bird is going to love the stuffed kookaburra. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think that's delightful. <laughs> so that leaves us platypus, kangaroo... And koala. Now I, I'm. I think I'm going to be the the strongest candidate for the platypus, and I'll tell you why. Tell me. Uh, because when I showed my fiance the picture of the thing and said, "Oh, there's stuffed animals," <coughs> Side and said, "If there's a platypus, I want that one." So um,
1: yeah, the the wives weighed in on this decision. Yes, pretty sir. heavily.
0: There were specifications.
1: Let's um, be frank. They win.
2: Yeah. Right. Yes.
0: So now that leaves us with a, a kangaroo and a koala.
1: Okay. I I think only Lee could be the the kangaroo.
0: I think that's fair. Wow. I think if we're looking for someone with a strong physical presence and Yeah. <laughs> you know, be be adored and really, you know, there's a lot Also of...
2: the one who is being consumed on this podcast currently.
0: Well, right. we go. weren't going to say it, but yeah. <laughs> and also, it's worth saying, you know, there's uh what I do know of Australia is there's a lot of uh brutal wildlife there. A lot sure. of, you know, giant spiders and whatnot. But they put forward as their face Hey, the kangaroo. Yes. it's adorable. It yes. jumps around. It's one in Winnie the Pooh, and I feel in that way, uh, Lee is very much the kangaroo of this podcast. Well done. There's a lot of horrific, awful things, but also there's this one very pleasant thing. Yeah, now, let's yep. just put that up front. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, now I'm looking at the uh, the the koala that you've you've given to me in a patronus style situation. Very nice. And uh, I I think if I affix it to the top of the the cans cans there that basically my understanding is they sent this so that it would be uh, you know transferring the you know the power of the koala to to me it's koala essence I I have no I don't know what it this stuffed koala is made from i i i assume it's an actual koala oh yeah have, it's yeah that's real
3: koala right in there uh
1: you know but uh also i don't know if you guys know this the koala bear is the most fierce of all bears
0: yeah that sounds right sure
1: i mean it will it will just viciously you know what i mean yeah, if you're a eucalyptus yeah. leaf absolutely i mean so <laughs> that really fits me T- definitely yeah it, it would just it just get your face, yes, you know, sure it looks yes. it looks
0: adorable and fuzzy and non threatening, but then it mm. it gets its claws in you,
1: that's right, so I think it's appropriate that you know the the most vicious of all Australian animals, yeah you know, they got the great whites and they got the spiders that will like kill a dog, yeah, you know, but the meanest of them all, right. all. meanest of them all, koala. Quality, the there. one that sleeps 20 hours a day yeah
0: <laughs> yeah well i think that uh went very well yeah i think uh we we once again give our uh, amazing gratitude to john and patricia
1: you guys rock yes. you guys are amazing the best
0: the best and uh you know uh, other nations of the world i think australia just pulled into a pretty good lead there so let's keep that in mind
1: yeah i think we've got almost all of the different continents covered here
3: well wow. we don't have antarctica
1: well, I think it's time for a little bit of penguin jerky.
3: This is what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> I want to eat a penguin. Yep. Pretty bad. Again, yep. A
0: <laughs> He didn't say he wants to eat penguin, because then he, you can picture like a slice of jerky. He said he wants to eat a penguin, and now we're all picturing Glenn eating a whole penguin.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and, and keep in mind that the man still has kangaroo in his teeth. Let me, let me just tell you this right now. I'm just
0: picturing Morgan Freeman narrating Glenn sneaking across a frozen tundra. <laughs>
1: let me tell you what. This is an actual saying where I come from. Uh, my mother's people are Cajuns, and they, they will say on any occasion they eat every part of the pig but the squeal. Okay. If you think I'm throwing away any penguin parts because, you know, I'm just too and high and mighty sure. not to eat too a whole penguin. I will eat a whole penguin. <laughs> <laughs> so, just sir,
2: beacon all, yeah, dude, whatever it is. It's,
3: it, you know, we're we're getting, we we're just talking about this before we started recording. We're getting towards the holidays. Yeah, I mean, you can feel fall starting to be in the air, right? it's, yeah. it's a whole thing. Thanksgiving is on its way. Think, if you want to impress the in-laws when they sit down at that Thanksgiving dinner table, what would do that more than a whole deep-fried penguin
4: served up for Thanksgiving dinner?
1: That's right. Put an apple in his beak and you're done, dude. Dude. That's legendary right there. i have been talking about that for years.
0: And not, as ever, three minutes too late, I'm happy to declare emergency off. (laughs) Oh, my. No animals were harmed in the making of Bridgebox. Probably.
1: Just after when we record this show.
0: Probably. <laughs> no, we have. Well, we're going to enjoy however much it costs the ASPCA to send our new Bridgebox, say that podcast supervisor like they do with the Hollywood films. Make sure we're not abusing the horses. But uh, we know it at all is harmed in the making of bridge box. It's writing and recording wonderful songs. It's Glenn and I preaching sermons, writing Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff for you. And uh, we're so only $8 a month. It's not a missionusa.com/bridgebox. slash bridge box. We're going to jump to our first question here. It comes in anonymously. If you have this all the way to the end, I use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into the episode description and find the links there. First question comes in and says, I'm one of your many say that podcast super fans who got to know you from Tumblr And I know you were talking about the problems with Josh Harris and I kissed dating goodbye before anyone else was as far as I'm aware for my own part. I bought into all that purity stuff more than I like to admit. And since it turns out that he's getting divorced and says he isn't Christian, I'm angry more at myself than him for getting caught up in that. How could I have been so blind? And uh, Glenn, as we record this, we're a little past uh, all the, all the media stuff around Josh Harris that if anyone is interested in finding out they can they can do that legwork themselves. But yeah, um, so we're obviously uh, we we talked about this. We talk about this case. We make a point of not really going in on uh, Christian Celebrity X on this podcast for any number of reasons that we've discussed before. So we're not uh, super interested in uh, going into the drama of one man's particular situation. But uh, this one man is at the center of a huge movement and marketing campaign that a lot of people got caught up in so how would we tell folks to start thinking about if they got uh, swept up in that how should they think about that time in their life anything yeah. they that impact they had on that and how they move forward from there
1: well first and foremost uh, we well certainly we don't have an urge to put an i told you so on any of that that's not at all where our hearts are at Uh, Also, I really, really, really don't think you should be down on yourself in any way on any of this. That just does not fit. And I'm going to go into a little bit of why. Uh, But I think part of this is, you know, he did come forward. He did kind of renounce his uh, book and said that, you know, he didn't agree with the stuff that was in there and the way it had been taken and stuff. And uh took full responsibility for that and pulled it off the shelves and everything. So in a funny kind of way there was nobody left to blame but to blame yourself and say well I I shouldn't have fallen for that or whatever have you. Um I think that's a wrong way to look at it and I you know you mentioned the fact that we knew it and uh that we were sort of ahead of that and what have you. But I think that's an apples and oranges comparison. Uh, we were looking at this from the standpoint of counseling people who had read this book and then had lived according to it and had had their lives really terribly wrecked with a lot of weirdness. And then over time, we eventually figured out all that weirdness was coming from one book and it was this guy and so on and so forth. So for us, we sort of came at it from the far other end. So that gave us a view of what was going on with this book that uh, I don't think you could expect to hold yourself to. So that's I, I don't I don't think that's fair, and that's certainly we don't look at it as you know we we've been vindicated we are we were always right about that or something. That's not that's not it at all. Um, I think the main thing to to recognize is um, it's about turning the page. Uh, we can't undo any of the stuff in the past, whether it's something that. He sort of perpetrated towards us, or a, a a youth leader, or a parent, or a grandmother, or auntie, or somebody who might have recommended this book. We can't undo the damage we sort of did to ourselves. We can't get that time back. We have to turn that page. We have to figure out what what does the future look like with all of this. Uh, unfortunately, yes, we're we're starting uh, you know in in the hole a little bit. We have to dig ourselves out of this kind of situation, but I think. The the first thing to recognize, and I'm going to let these other guys really uh, address a lot of that kind of stuff. I think the first thing we want to do is to look at moving forward, here's a lesson we've learned. We don't let someone baptize our fears.
2: When, mm, when, yeah.
1: I, when I say baptize our fears, I mean someone taking something you're already afraid of, asking someone out. Everyone is afraid of that. Everyone on the planet, before they ask the first person out that they ask out, they are all afraid of that. If you take that deep, deep, deep fear and that total awkwardness and that total sense of, I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to get started, you take that and say, it's good for you to be afraid of that. God mm. wants you to be afraid of that. If someone is taking your fears and saying, yeah, God says be afraid, you should, you should be careful, you should watch out. You, this is You're playing with fire here, man, and all of this kind of stuff. If you get yeah. into that, someone's using that to sell you a book somebody's using that to manipulate you whatever else so that's what we're never going to do again if we take if we if there's something we're afraid of hear the sound of my voice you take that head on you face it you deal with it you tackle it you say god give me courage give me strength i'm getting up i'm getting after this thing and that does, you know. And we're we're not going to do that foolishly. We we want to get wisdom on that. We want to get our timing right. We want to get everything get our ducks in a row. We talked last time about wisdom and faith. Those two things go together. But we're going to step out in faith, knowing we don't have to live in fear. But finally, and real quick point, we've made it before. We're going to make it again. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this, you know. After this whole book thing went south, there was a lot of well, he was a 20-year-old, and who who thought that a 20-year-old could give good advice about dating and marriage when he'd not been you know, married at that point? Well, we were saying that beforehand. I think we were the only ones saying that beforehand. But um, the point about that is not that 20-year-olds don't know anything about life. That would not really be true or accurate. I, I know a lot of old people don't know anything about life, and I've met young people who are plenty sharp. That's not the thing here. The thing is, he didn't know the thing he was talking about. He had not done marriage counseling. He had not helped couples. He had not had a successful marriage. He's just talking about stuff he sat in a coffee shop and thought and made up in his head as being good ideas. He wrote it down, and everybody went for it. Here's why I'm telling you that's an important distinction to make. That's most of the books you read in the Christian bookstore, and I'm including... People that we know and have relationships with that we know are not doing the thing they're writing a book about. That doesn't mean that everything in that book is wrong and bad, but it does mean they don't know. There's not an experience that's underneath that. There are plenty of books out there, uh, relationship books that will help you, that are written by people who do that for a living and have experience at that. Those are the people we want to turn to in moments like this
0: that's a really great place to start off and jed one of the things i love what glenn was bringing out there and one of the important things i think he's pointing out is this is not about one dude there's there's some machinery around here and there are some lessons to learn on that um but that idea of letting other people kind of set your agenda tell you what you're going to be about the problem with that isn't even necessarily they don't know what they're doing it it is as i put it in in the blog post this we This person says, you know, how could I have been so blind? And we totally understand their feeling, but this, you weren't actually lied to, you were marketed to. Yeah, that's right. I think that's an important distinction here, right?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. All marketing, if you can dig it, is someone else coming to you and saying, let me tell you what you should care about. Let me tell you what should be on your mind, what your agenda should be. And it is really never a good idea to let other people set your agenda. Like, ever. Amen. Glenn is absolutely right that one of the lessons to be taken away from this is don't let people baptize your fears. Uh, that, and he's right. You definitely shouldn't do that. And part of the reason you shouldn't do it is that's where it starts, but it doesn't stop there. Um, I grew up in a time in the church where about every month we had a guest speaker who had a new thing for us to be afraid of. They'd come in on a Sunday morning. Now we're afraid of the communists. Next month, we're afraid of the Satanists. The month after that, we're afraid of the rock and roll music. The month after that, we're afraid of the Dungeons and Dragons. And you're like, well, I wasn't afraid of any of this, of this stuff before Sunday morning, but I'm terrified of it now. It turns out, in yeah. each case, he has a book or a video series or whatever it is that he'd like to sell you that relates to.
0: Now, that is awful. But if he was able to mash that into one book about communist, Satanist, rock and roll Dungeons and Dragons players... That would at least be worth a read.
3: It would be entertaining, if nothing else.
0: (laughs) The key and important takeaway,
3: though, is if you're willing to let other people set your agenda for you, people will keep doing that. They may start with baptizing your fears, because that's a good place to start. They won't stop there. They will keep giving you new things to be afraid of and a book to buy to deal with those fears. We don't want to do that. What we want to do is set our own agenda. And ideally, that's something that you would do between you and God, that you would think about what you care about in this life. What matters to you? You talk to the Lord about that. Maybe you talk to a pastor or mentor about that as well, but that you would decide, you know, I'm interested in a good dating life. I, I want that's something that matters to me. I, whether other people want that or not, I can't say, but I want that. That matters to me. I, I want to see that happen. You know, I, I care about a healthy emotional life. You know, I, I want to see that happen for me. I, I care about um, volunteerism. I want to see that happen for me. Whether other people are on those things or not is neither here nor there. I care about those things for me then it's about finding, just like Len said, doers who can tell you something about those things. Uh, an, right. Another phrase that, that means the exact same thing are subject matter experts. And it's a good phrase because it turns out no one's an expert at everything. That's one of the weird things that Christian culture set up is an expectation that there's people out there who just know everything about everything. There's no such thing as that.
0: Tim Keller taught me how to fix my fridge.
3: I don't think that's true. Oh, I'm just guessing. I mean, I, I mean, maybe you secretly, uh... the,
0: the, my electrician wore a sweater. I just assumed he was Tim Keller. I don't know what Tim Keller looks like.
3: That's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> okay, it's a fair point. You know, if you decided for yourself, I, I want to have a good dating life, and that's you know, that's a decision that I've made. Find people who actually know about having a good dating life. Like I said, People who do right. marriage counseling. Find somebody who's had a good dating life and ask them what made that go and, and, and what to look out for. Uh, find somebody who uh, made all the mistakes and then figured some things out and now has a healthy marriage. Ask them what they think. And here's a really key thing. If you want like a bonus pro tip, find three or four subject matter experts. Ask all of them and focus on the overlap. Just so you know, I do this all the time in all kinds of areas. I intentionally ask a bunch of people who know something about a subject, and I start with the stuff they all overlap on. If you do that, it's almost impossible to knock you off course. But all this goes back to don't let other people set your agenda for you. Figure out what you care about, talk about that with the Lord, and then chart a (coughs) course from there. Don't let other people market to you and get you on their thing.
0: I think that's a really great point. And Lee, I think that rolls us right into... Uh, the thing we haven't talked about yet, which is I think is critical to talk about, which is the agenda of the book. And again, yeah. this is more than a book, but it really, uh, this one guy in the one book was kind of ground zero for this whole thing. <laughs> and that is what uh, did come to be known as the purity movement and the kind of purity idea. Um, so that got a lot of play. That made a lot of people money. And while a divorce certainly doesn't really matter to that larger narrative, the thing that matters is it's totally wrong and unbiblical. Yeah. So uh, if we certainly do want to look at where we go, if we are someone who, and to the extent that it was, it was Christian culture for a long time for a lot of young people, everybody who grew up in that is going to bear some kind of thought of that in their mind. So what do we need to grab onto to inoculate ourselves from that purity movement idea?
2: Well, I want to start with something that, that Glenn said early on, which is, you know, it, it, it makes sense that you you look at this whole thing falling apart and you feel like, how was I so easily duped? And uh, n- now I feel bad about me. But the thing that I would say is, um, hey, you know, feeling bad about you, I, I get that and, and everything. A- exactly as Glenn said, it's not going to help us find our way out of here. And the thing is, you should know, everybody was taken in on this thing. It was a very tempting thing to believe. The thing that they told everybody, the thing they sold everybody on was two lies. One lie was, if you get married and you're still a virgin, you will be pure, sexually (laughs) pure. The second lie is built on the first one, which is, that purity that you have earned by marrying as a virgin will equal a great marriage. Mm. These are the two lies they sold everybody. Now, the thing about that is that's a very tempting thing to believe. Hence, everybody believed it. Because that you know, we know, you know, sex before marriage that's probably a bad that you know, that's a bad thing and that's a that's a sin and everything. So, if we could avoid that, then we then when we get married, we would be sexually pure. And that sexual purity will guarantee us an amazing marriage. What that does is it shortcuts all, well, first of all, it's completely and totally false, but it shortcuts a really, really important thing, which is all relationships take a lot of work. You got to earn a great marriage. You got to earn a good relationship. And so this idea, one, the idea that if you, if you got married as a virgin, then you're sexually pure, well, that just doesn't hold any weight scripturally. It doesn't make any sense at all. When you see the Lord saying stuff in Matthew chapter five, like if you even look at another person with lust in your heart, then it's then you have committed adultery with them. It's like, well, nobody is sexually pure. That's that's we don't have sexually pure people down here. Uh, Jesus was sinless. Everybody else is sexually impure. Period. The end. Um, we all need a savior, and we have a great one, which is awesome. But this idea that if you were somehow If you made it to your wedding day and didn't have sex, then you were guaranteed this great marriage. That's the lie they sold everybody. And they convinced everybody to be afraid of dating because that might get you near sex. And this is the whole idea. The truth is, is that everybody is impure. Everybody needs a savior. Forgiveness is available completely for free. Everybody comes to Jesus like the prodigal son, just messed up, needing a rescue, uh, in in the dirty clothes, needing a change of clothes, needing mercy, needing forgiveness. Everybody gets forgiveness and mercy for free, and everybody gets that relationship for free. And then when you build a marriage, you build it. It takes work. It takes communication. It takes learning. It takes forgiveness and grace. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. And that's the truth that that people don't want to as readily believe that I can 't just avoid this one thing and then I 'm guaranteed a great relationship. It makes sense that you were taken in by it. Um, it makes sense that the marketing worked, just as Matt and Jed are saying. We can move past that and say okay now that i've now that the lie has been exposed, I want to do what it takes to become the person that I can be." So that when I'm ready for that relationship, I'm ready to do the work to build it, to build trust, to build communication, to learn how to be a person who's safe, to learn how to be a person who acts in respect, all of the things to work on my own insecurities so that I'm ready to build a great marriage. And that's the truth, is that none of us are pure, we all get forgiveness for free, and great marriages are built, not handed to us because of some fake definition of purity.
0: That is all really fantastic stuff. We're gonna move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, "I want to stop lying and being a manipulator. I want to do God's will and not my own, and I know I need God for that. But where do I start?" And Jed, where do we kick off?
3: Well, this is a really good question, and we are uh, we're proud of you for your honesty and for your desire to to do things in a new way, and uh, and we know it's not easy. So we we've got your back, and and we believe in you. I think we want to note that. We, as a culture, have some weird conceptions about lying mm-hmm. um, that, that it would be good to call out up front. Uh, the first is if someone says, you know, I really struggle with lying, uh, we think, well, they're a compulsive liar. That's not that's not true. That's a different thing. That's, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. Another thing is we we have a sense that there are people that just they just love deception. They just love deceit. There may be people like that out there. But again, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking here about a person who I think has some things in their life that they're afraid of, and they have some things in yeah. their life that they're ashamed of, and lying turns out to be something that, at least in the short term, can help to deal with the fear and with the shame. That's very different from being a compulsive liar or being someone who just loves to deceive. That's a person who has a legitimate problem, is trying to figure out how to solve it, and the tool they've been using to solve it has not worked very well. that That's actually what we're talking about. It's worth noting that if you have a fear of getting in trouble, if you have a fear of people looking down on you, that makes sense. Um, I don't want people to look down on me either. I don't want to get in trouble either. Um, if you feel a sense of of shame uh, in your life, maybe about some of your circumstances, man, I can't judge you. I've definitely had circumstances in my life that I felt ashamed about. And um, the the idea of you know telling a few white lies is a way of getting out from under that pressure even if it's not the right thing to do it makes sense we can we can certainly track with that here's where i think we should begin to the extent that this is coming from shame and fear in your life and i bet that's the vast majority of it i think we can build a life for you where you just don't have that many things to be afraid of or ashamed about and i think that's going to solve a big big part of this problem i'll give an example of what i mean suppose you're in school maybe you're in college and uh, you keep turning in assignments late, which means the professor keeps saying, okay, why is this late? And you keep having to come up with an excuse, but you don't really have a good excuse. So we kind of fabricate the thing with my dog and he's in the dog hospital and it's a whole thing. So that's why it's late. I think most of us have been there. Some of us have been there quite a little bit. Let's not worry for a second about how naughty that is or isn't. Uh, you you can read the Bible for yourself. You, you know the answer sure. on that. Here's the key thing. It's not going to work. This is, I mean, so, you, you don't have that many dogs. So sooner or later, this is all going to, the truth is going to come out. What we can do is we can say, this keeps being a problem for me. What if I just started the assignments for this class like two days earlier than I otherwise would? Now we have fewer things to be afraid of. It's just, I mean, if we started a couple days earlier, now we don't really have anything to lie about. Uh, we, we turn it in roughly speaking on time. It's great. It's, it's no problem. It turns out you can do that in a lot of areas in your life. I bet if you, if you were to keep a journal of the things that you feel tempted to lie about, I think you'd see some through lines. I think you'd see some trends. And if you look yeah. at those trends, I I think you'd see some things where you could build a different life where that stuff just wasn't happening. You know, maybe you, you, um live with people that you can't trust. And so you kind of have to keep having a story about everything in order to keep it off your back. You can change your living situation, man. You can get into a living situation where you're you're not with those people. I think a lot of times Christians have a way of looking at problems and feeling like what we need to do here is to change none of my circumstances, but have me just respond in a way better way. And once in a while that's we don't have any choice and that's what we've got to do. But if we have the opportunity to change the circumstances and make this an easier situation to live with, that's a good idea. We should definitely look at that. I have a suspicion that that's true for you. I have a suspicion we can make some changes to stuff in your life that would reduce the amount of fear that would reduce the amount of shame and hence reduce the temptation to lie, to deal with that shame and that fear.
0: That is indeed a very important place to start. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here because I think another important place to start is exactly a, a path Jed started us down there is looking at where we're coming from and why lying maybe a way we're dealing with things, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I love everything that Jeb was saying there. And and I love this idea of 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 discovering trends. Um asking the why question about any behavior that you want to change is super super important. And when you start tracking when the behavior happens and what led up to the behavior happening, then you start to see some patterns. You're you're guaranteed to find some patterns. I think that if you were to do that, if you were to track the the lies that you told and what was leading up to those things, what were the what's the stimulus before the lie comes? You're going to find a lot of the things that Jed talked about. You're going to find um, things that make you afraid and, you know, circumstances that that have some possibilities of change. I bet that there's a, a strong possibility that another thing that you're going to uncover is that you got some people in your life that you really care about their opinion of you and you think that they have a negative opinion of you. And so you lie to make yourself look better around them. Um, I bet that you would basically find that you've got some deep insecurities that you are kind of medicating with some small deceptions. Um, the thing that I would encourage you, if you were to look at your life and, and kind of plot out when and why, or when and what, so you could answer the why question, why am I doing this behavior? If you were to discover some insecurities, I would I would say this is something you definitely want to start working on. Who in my life, this is a really important question to ask, especially if you're a person that deals with insecurity issues, who in my life has kind of an unbalanced access to my emotions? Like they've got a backstage pass to the way that I feel. They say a thing and it changes my whole week. It, it tips the scale in, the, in a way that other people don't. Um, I want to deal with that. I want to find out why is it that I want that person to like me so much? 1. What would happen if I was just really me? Maybe that person would surprise me. Maybe they would like me just fine. Anyway, maybe they would accept me and we would get along just fine, our relationship would be great. Um the other possibility on that is, what if I don't need this relationship? If that person is manipulative or if they are if they have do have too strong a place in my life, what if I was to kind of, and this is this is kind of a, a weird way of saying it, but what if I was to revoke their backstage pass and say, I'm not going to let this person be this in charge of the way that I feel emotionally. Um, insecurity is bound to be a big part of this. It's bound to be a big part of the way that, that you're responding. And so we need to get on top of that by finding out who is it that is... It, you know has the keys to my emotions and how can i change that script how can i change that situation so that i can just be myself and the people who accept me are the people who i'm friends with and the people who don't well um i'm going to move on past that relationship and i'm not going to let them have the same kind of influence or the same kind of the you know the same kind of access to the buttons to ch- to change the way that i feel all day long. I think that if you were to get on top of some of these insecurity issues, you would find that you don't need to do this behavior as much.
0: That is all fantastic stuff. And Glenn, I'm glad to get you get to close this out here. And you have, I believe, a fantastic amount of expertise on the issue. That's not sure. me subtly making a dig about you being a liar. <laughs> I was saying, uh, you know, you've been working for a long time with uh, people who are either uh, criminals or drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And those are two groups of people who uh, kind of lie as a necessity. And That's right depending on how really uh, the amount of time they can stay sometimes free and alive depends on how good they get at lying in a lot of ways. So yeah. working with folks who are that advanced, lying is a part of their makeup and it is often something they have, to, particularly addicts, have to really consciously let go of if they want to live a healthier life. Yeah. So what does that taught you about moving past that?
1: Well, I think it's important for me to not judge that. Uh, there's something about, uh, that sensation of someone lying to you—that it's hard to get over. That it's hard to look the other way on that. Uh, you want to moralize about that, and you say, "What kind of person would do this?" And how dare you, sir? And that kind of you know. Uh, but as you point out, uh, do that, you tell them
3: good day at the yeah, end? Yeah, good day,
1: sir. You know that kind of yeah. Uh, for some reason, I have a British accent by yeah. the end. You know, just that's how judge. a lot of vibrato. I, you know, just I that, said good day. Yeah, you know, that kind of uh you know but the it, it the thing that we have to get our minds around is that uh, uh for some people lying is part of that lifestyle like you said with addiction and so forth that lying is necessary to keep an addiction going uh lying to that person becomes a very powerful tool that allows them to get where they're going uh and it is lying's amazing I mean, you could just lie and get out of things. It's like a magic trick. Yeah. I mean, it just gets you. It's like a get out of jail free. You just lie and then you get out of jail. You know, it's great. Except for, you know, then you got to tell another lie to cover that lie, you know, and then it just keeps getting worse and the hole keeps getting deeper. But that's for later. You know, we don't have to worry about that today. For today, we could just, you know, keep lying. Uh, So I think... Part of this is recognizing how powerful lies can be. Uh, it's very, it's for a very short period of time, and man, the bill comes due in a very serious way. But if we understand how powerful lies are, we understand the temptation to get into it, and that allows us to be forgiving and allows us to be patient with people. Uh, I was telling the fellows, um, you know, they have. Uh, we won't go into all the details, but they they have actual a uh, uh, written down uh, a science of being able to read facial muscles contracting on a face to determine a person's emotional state and uh, you know you can you can tell uh, uh with a much higher degree of certainty whether someone's lying to you or not by reading these things and if you if you go to amazon read the book reviews for these uh, books uh it they'll have in the description beware when you read this book, you will figure out everyone is lying to you. And that's, that was certainly my experience and, and such a, a delight to read that. But I think you, you, you could either be consumed by that or you recognize uh, people are doing this to try and get by. As, as all these other fellows have said and, and said better than I could, uh, you, uh, uh, here's, here's where this starts. Here's where the lying starts. You wouldn't want to help me. Yup. You wouldn't want to help me if if I think you if I need help of some kind and sooner or later I will. if I think you wouldn't want to help me. Then I have to tell you a lie to get you to help me. That's manipulation. That's you know. The, now we're doing that. Now here's what's funny. If you don't tell me a lie, here's what you'll do on the other end of that. You'll sabotage. If I if you think I don't want to help you and I try to help you, you'll get freaked out and you'll you'll do something to misbehave until i don't want to help you so that the world makes sense again so either way this manifests itself it goes to a bad place when it's when you start with these people don't want to help me eventually that's going to end poorly the right way to look at that is some of these people don't want to help me because they're jerks some of these people don't want to help me because they're caught up in themselves and trying they're trying to get out of their own crazy situation. Uh but that some of these people want to help me and don't really know how wouldn't be that much help, you know, uh might be a good encouragement, but not much beyond that. But some of the people in this room absolutely want to help you. If you're in church somewhere in a good church, a solid church, those people want to help you. So uh, let's get away from from that um that falsehood and that 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 toxic thing within us of you wouldn't want to help me final point uh what we're really talking about here what all these fellows are talking about is putting on a mask here's the problem with putting on a mask you become invisible everybody else has a relationship with the mask they like the mask the mask is great but it's not you you have become invisible you do you have ceased to exist the 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 complete oblivion of your personhood is not a good trade off. So it doesn't matter what you're getting in this exchange. It doesn't matter what you're getting out of it. Doesn't matter what you're manipulating people into. It doesn't n- nothing else matters. You deserve to have your own attention and your own approval and your own people loving you. You do not deserve oblivion. You know. Uh, but what happens is that false front then becomes, how do I get peace now? I can't I can't receive peace because I don't deserve it because I, all of this is a lie. I can't get self-esteem. You can't give me a compliment because you're not giving it to me. You're giving it to the mass. So I can't. There's nothing can happen to make my self-esteem any better. Um, also, eventually you'll find out that I'm lying. So there goes trust. These are very serious casualties. The, lying is very powerful, and it's, it's why we get into it. But, man, there's a lot on the back end that we're losing. It's it's better to just live in the truth. And as these other fellows are saying, let those chips fall where they may. It's not a bad thing to have people weeded out of your life that really don't belong there because they don't know how to be cool. Yeah.
0: That's absolutely right. It's fantastic stuff. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously to our email address, and it says... I recently started going to counseling, and the place I go has an ideology about the feelings. A thing the Counseling Center proposes is that we all have the same feelings, and they frame it like it's part of the human experience. This troubled me, as shame and guilt are on the list of discussed feelings. Part of me struggles with the idea of normalizing and accepting shame and guilt as part of the human experience. Does that mean Jesus felt guilt and shame? I've heard sermons that speak towards shame and guilt. They seem to encourage fighting against shame, not normalizing it. Doesn't the Bible say that there will be no shame in heaven, so why would I accept or get used to that as my reality? My counselor also talks about healthy shame a lot, and I don't get that at all. Is there such a thing as healthy shame? I'd appreciate any insight on all of this. It's a great question, and Lee, where would we kick off?
2: Well, I can tell you that for me, the place that I would kick off is I was kind of raised um, in an environment where I was made to feel bad about myself all the time, and that was in church. Um it wasn't until much later till I got into a church that actually talked about the good news that I started understanding that that shame was a bad thing. Um and that Jesus had paid for all my shame, that he had borne all my shame and taken it away. Because he doesn't want me to to feel like I'm in trouble. He doesn't want me to to uh to feel like I am just, you know, hopelessly a, a worm who deserves to feel like a worm for the rest of my existence. Um the idea of you know uh, being a person who will never experience shame yeah that that doesn't seem very possible to me i i understand where um you know where the counselor's coming from in the idea that shame is a normal part of the human experience we all experience it people are going to make you feel bad but i don't like normalizing it to the extent that we need to accept it or we need to think it's a good thing um or, or anything like that uh, what i would say is People are going to make you feel shame. You're going to make yourself feel shame sometimes, and the thing that we need to get good at is the thing that is through our faith, through our relationship with the Lord, through our relationship with our fellowship with with people who love us and who um, who are encouraging. We need to learn how to bounce back from shame, how to how to push shame off, how to how to make decisions where we're not operating out of what shame is telling us to do. Um, That is probably one of the most important things that we could ever do in our life, especially because um, our shame was paid for. Uh, Shame will not help you grow. It will not help you make wise decisions. And Jesus took it all. There were people who did try to put shame on Jesus. There's this really weird place in John chapter 8 where he's kind of in a in this argument conversation with some Pharisees, and they say this thing about, you know, we're not illegitimate children. We know who our father is. And they're like going all the way back to the fact that Jesus, Jesus's mom got pregnant before she got married. And they're like throwing that in his face. And he doesn't receive it. He doesn't, he he just walks right through it, bounces back into the conversation and answers the next thing. People tried to put shame on Jesus and he wouldn't accept it. And that's the place that we want to get to is that we understand that shame is not going to help me grow. It's not going to help me make wise decisions. And, uh, Jesus paid for all of it. So I want to learn, I want to learn how to bounce back. Um, yeah, it's not—just because I experience shame doesn't mean it's a good thing that I want to normalize, get used to, or start making decisions out of.
0: That's a really, really important place to start. And, Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here, because I think one of the things uh, Leah's pointing to there is the one of the reasons we talk so much on the show, and you may, if you go to a good church and we'll hear a lot of stuff about guilt and shame, is because it kind of exactly— in what I read the description of this counseling center saying is those emotions and feelings are part of the human condition. Yeah. So uh, where do we draw the line between acknowledging something, particularly if we're picking, trying to pick up help in a non-Christian context, yeah. as if you go all the way back to the first question, oftentimes we encourage going yeah. back to subject matter experts. Yep. So when there are things like this, that they bump up against not necessarily the underlying content, but the stuff we're made to feel from yeah. a lot of our Christian stuff where do we go about reconciling those things if they are good ideas?
3: That's a great question. So I think there's, there's two sides to this. And, and the first thing, just to note, man, we're so proud of you for going to Council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That so is awesome super, yeah. super good. So um, English is a really crazy, imprecise language. Um, and different people can use different words to mean things quite differently. Um, so as a quick reminder, in Christianity, um, here's the difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt says you did this terrible thing, therefore you are terrible and no good. Conviction says you are better than this. You are better than this thing that you have done. Um, That's just the standard run-of-the-mill Sunday school definition of guilt and conviction in a Christian context. That's not necessarily how people outside of Christianity use those words. Um, Doesn't exactly make them wrong, doesn't exactly make us right. It's just that's not what those words mean exactly, exactly outside of a Christian context. Your counselor says that there's such a thing as healthy shame... I imagine if you dug into that, your counselor is referring to something almost identical to conviction. Um, The idea of, I've done these things, I don't like them, I am better than them, and I I want to move towards that better version of myself. Your counselor may call that healthy shame, a Christian might call that conviction, but understanding what's meant is really the key thing. Um, You know, yeah, we can get into a place where we, we kind of have our you know, it raises the hair on the back of our neck if someone uses the word shame. But the, the key thing is to try and understand what's what's meant by it. And that actually brings us to the second half of this, which which may be the more important part. And that is how do we receive help from people? Mm. And especially how do we receive help from people that may not be coming from a Christian worldview? Because there's a lot of people who are not Christians who have a lot of help to offer. So it'd be good to know how to do this. The first is to acknowledge that It's the extreme minority case, but it is possible to go to someone who should be an expert and ask for help and be told something awful. That is possible. Again, it's the extreme minority case, uh, but it is possible. One of the things that's come out in a lot of the... Messes from various denominations mishandling uh, stuff related to sexuality are folks who were in abusive relationships and went uh, to get wise counsel and were told, Well, what you need to do is go back to your abuser and just pray. That is awful. It is wrong. It is terrible. It is no good. That is right out. That's also not what's happening in your situation at all. I don't think you're receiving bad, unhealthy, harmful advice. I think there's just a difference in vocab that's being used. So here's the thing that I really want to encourage you to do, which is to listen to your counselor and give them the benefit of the doubt. One of the things that can happen, again, if you've come up in a Christian environment, is you're taught to be on constant guard against anything of the world. Um, And somewhere in there, there's a smart idea, but that can turn into something really unhealthy really, really quickly. Um you know when when you go to your doctor for your annual checkup you you don't need to have your guard up against a worldly influence from your gp like they they're not trying to give you the devil's vitamins they they just want you to just you know have enough vitamin c and d in your life that's you don't you don't have to be worried well it's it's kind of a similar thing here I don't think that this counselor or the huge vast majority of counselors are trying to quietly seduce you into a a non-Christian worldview from which you'll never escape. That's, that's not what this is. This is a person that you have gone to again. You, you sought them out, not the other way around um, who I'm guessing wants to help you get a little bit better handle on your emotional life, which is a great thing. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And again, we're so proud of you for taking this step. So, Let them be the expert. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And here's the key thing: grant the premise. We can quibble over which exact word we mean, but there's a broader point being made. There's a larger point being made. And part of your responsibility to be um, a participant in this process is to try and figure out what that broader point is. If you've come up around a Christian worldview, you've you've been taught again to have your guard up against things in the world, and that the way you're going to do that is to analyze everything you're told and look for the one fraction of 1% that might possibly be wrong and then reject everything that's been said because you found one tiny, tiny thing that could possibly be wrong. I was taught the same thing. So if it sounds familiar, you're not alone. But don't do that because that's actually not how you receive help. I think part of what I'm saying here is don't look for things to reject. Um, If you're there to receive help, don't look for things to reject try to get the point there's a broader point being made that will have implications for the way that you live your life at the end of the day you have to figure out what you're going to do with all of this and if you don't want to use the phrase healthy shame don't use the phrase healthy shame use the phrase conviction that's fine it's, it's no problem
1: and there's no problem to ask a doctor to use your vocabulary sure as long as you're talking about the same stuff and you know that There's nothing wrong with that.
3: Sure, absolutely. But the key thing is trying to understand the broader point that's being made, not looking for things to reject, looking for what are my takeaways? What are the things that are going to help me, again, in this context, have a better handle on my emotional life so that I can live a better, more peaceful, more fulfilled life? Um, You have already taken the first step here. And again, we're so proud of you. Continue that journey. Give this person the benefit of the doubt. Listen to what they're saying and try and get and apply that broader point.
0: That's a really, really sharp stuff. One thing we we definitely want to say on that, and Jed mentioned, I just want to intimate it. So, this, that's part of the process, right? We're yep. trying something new. We we use the phrase, grant the premise. So, give yourself over to this process and let it give it a shot. Now, it's important, as we talk about on the show, to take periodic checks to say, is this working? Is a yep. good question. Yep. Is this holding up internally? You know, there are, unfortunately, uh, outside the Christian world, there are kind of, you know, wackadoos in all forms of life. That's part of, having a subject matter expert is you do continue to kind of check that person until they earn kind of, we, we all have subject matter experts in our life who have earned a certain amount of just full on carte blanche, what they say goes, but that's a process. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, but while you're there, it, as, as Jed is saying, you want to give this experience a shot at working. You do that by opening up to the fact this person may know more about this thing than you do now. Yes. They get to the point where you say, well, the important thing is that you, have a certain there's a certain amount of healthy shame in your life. For for example, if you ever eat anything other than kale, that's going <laughs> to throw mm. off your humors and you'll feel bad. So it's, right. all, it's all kale from now on. There are moments to pull up and say, nope, walk me through that one again. <laughs> right. But in general, again, if it's a reputable place, if you've done your research, and there's nothing, as we always say with things like doctors and therapists, there's also nothing wrong with saying, eh, it feels off and I don't really vibe with this guy. I'm going to find another thing. That's totally cool. That makes sense. But as, as Jen is pointing out, you you do yourself a disservice if you don't give it an honest shot yeah, yeah. Okay. and just kind of sit back. And I don't, I don't know the person who wrote this in, but as speaking as a white man, we, we, one of the things that does get hold side is to kind of always be evaluating everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of what your doctor tells you and what your mechanic tells you. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that passes my, I don't know anything about this, <laughs> right. but that sounds right to me, which is the highest compliment I can think to give something in the universe. Right. And that, that role as evaluator in the beginning. Doesn't help. Obviously no, you don't no. want to do anything dangerous. You don't want to do anything that makes you, you know, uh, feel bad or counterproductive, but giving yourself out of that process really can be, an important thing, and Glenn, I think this also gives us a broader point about. There's a, I think there's a thin line. It's it it reads us thin. I think we would say it's a huge chasm. But the idea of you can't live your life by guilt and shame. Right. We totally believe that. We believe that those are not you know uh, things that come from God. There's things from the other side of things. But then there's also the idea of I need to of flee from guilt and shame and live my life by that. Right. I should make it a goal. To, if these are bad feelings, should I make it a goal to never feel these feelings? Uh, is that yeah. how I know I'm doing well? Yeah. It's really not the way emotions work. Right. So how do we go about reconciling those two things? Our friend is right about from yeah, yeah. one side. The other if one is you can't navigate your life by guilt and shame, but you are going to feel them because they are right. feelings. People have. So That's what right. do we do with
1: that? Well, it, I can simplify this greatly. Let's think of this as three different layers, body mind and spirit that's that's who you are you have three different layers body mind and spirit uh, so in your spirit you will receive occasionally temptation to do something uh, that is sinful and wrong and bad and naughty uh, you will receive in your spirit uh, a call to righteousness to do something good and right and holy both of those. Uh, uh, those things, those, those spiritual uh, urges or whatever you, however you would describe that, those spiritual elements are focused through the lens of your emotions onto your physical life, your body and your body either acts on them or it doesn't. Right. That's where the sin happens. When you do the thing and Christians are very confused about this. They say, well, I the devil tempted me, so then I must be sinful. Well, no, the devil tempted Jesus, didn't make Jesus sinful. Well, I thought about doing it, so that must be pretty bad. But if you thought about doing it and then you didn't do it, <laughs> that's like good. You You overcame the temptation. That's what we want you to do. You say, "Well, I I meditated on it for overly long." Well, that's that's bad, but it's bad because you would eventually do it, but you didn't. You didn't do it, so you overcame Hooray! the teaching, So that's good. Yeah. It becomes a sin when you do it, people, and it becomes a righteous act when you do the thing. You could just pray and think and have thoughts and memorize your Bible. You haven't gotten any righteousness going at all. It's when you get off your narrow behind and do something for the kingdom, for others, for yourself for whatever it is, you know, for your church, for your pastor, for your wife, or whatever God's calling you to do, your next-door neighbor, whatever it is. So what we're looking at is trying to look at the emotions that sit in the middle, okay? Now here's what we're going to look at with that. The emotions can't be sinful or righteous because it's not—that happens in the body. That's the whole other end of this thing. Now, the emotions are going to steer us maybe in a direction that's bad, or it will uh steer us towards something more positive and whatever have you, and all of that, but we have so then we start thinking these emotions are good or bad uh but that gets to be kind of sticky, doesn't it? I mean, if the devil comes to me and says you should feel bad about something and then my emotions kind of amp that it's go again it's being projected through the lens of my emotional life and let's say my emotions say yeah i feel terrible feel really bad well that can kind of get so high over the top that you become conscious of what the devil's trying to pull and then you end up uh Giving that up to the Lord, whereas if you repressed that emotion and didn't try not to feel that emotion, it would be cooking along underneath, and eventually it would take you over. So the emotions aren't really good or bad; they can be sort of healthy or unhealthy sort of. I can wallow in them in a way that's bad. I could do that, but again, that's only bad because it's going to my life is going to take a different direction. The way I live and what happens with my my life is going to be different. Here's the other thing about uh, about emotions: they are not controllable in the way that we think they are. You can control your thoughts. You know, I'm thinking about a a blue balloon that has filled with helium and has a little string and I'm holding the end of the string. I imagine that in my mind just from nothing. It's unbelievable. I can think anything I want to think. But take someone who's really, really, really sad, depressed and say, just be happy right now. Just do it. Do it, do it! They, they can't. I mean, it doesn't work that way. So we're, we think there's a lot of control that happens to that, that that it isn't. So what you're doing with your counselor, here's where I'm driving at, is learning to manage those emotions, to control them, to keep them from gumming up the works between trying to live a righteous life that God's inspiring you in your spirit, and so that that is lived out in your body, in, in your life, and that your mind is in agreement with that. Your your counselor is not trying to uh, deal with your spiritual life because that's not what their department is. So you know, yes, they should stay in their lane. Yes, you should have a common vocabulary. I think that's fine. You say, look, I would rather you use this word. That's a that's a fair thing. Uh, but I think when we understand how that works, we get into a a, a process of recognizing I'm learning to manage these emotions so they aren't. Uh, preventing me from living a godly life uh, to where they're not, uh, whatever. But I'm not judging those emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm managing them. That's a. am using a, a subtle distinction here, but it really makes a big difference.
3: Yeah, Jed, one more thing on this? Just to jump here real quick and to build on what Glenn's saying, because it's spot on, uh, and, and perhaps a, a peek behind the curtain of, of part of what your counselor may be driving at, something that we deal with a lot with people is— Something they do something bad or something bad happens, and then they have negative feelings about that. But then they get negative feelings about their negative feelings. Yes. And all of a sudden we have like a meta guilt and yeah. a meta shame. Yeah. Right. So I I cheated on my girlfriend and I feel ashamed about that. You know, I can't right. believe I'm the kind of guy that would do that. And, and what the heck is wrong with me? But, you know, I shouldn't be having these negative feelings. So now I feel bad about the shame that I'm right. feeling. Oh, I'm the worst. Yeah. Well, now, now we're digging ourselves into a deeper and deeper pit, regardless of the vocabulary that, that we use to describe these things helping people figure out how to not get swept away by their emotions, where there's a spiral on top of a spiral where I'm ashamed of the thing I did. Then I'm ashamed of the way that I felt about it. Then I feel like I'm being selfish for the shame. I feel right. about the shame that I feel about the thing, yeah. uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff causes people huge problems. So if you can help to get someone to a point where they will address just, I, I did a bad thing and I feel bad about it. Yeah. What do I do about it? as opposed to adding layers of confusion on top of it.
1: Yeah, you're processing it at that point.
3: Exactly right. I think that's part of what your counselor is trying to point to, regardless of the vocabulary that's being used.
0: Absolutely right. I think that's all good stuff. And again, we just want to be super clear. We don't know your counselor. We don't know enough about uh, counseling uh, tactics and uh, techniques to know if this is the right way or not. What we know is talking about guilt and shame is not the same as living in it. And if you right. want to give something a good shot about whether or not it can give you some positive steps in your life, it really helps to to accept the premise they're giving you and see how that works out for you as opposed to trying to figure out along the way if this is something that kind of works at every step that really, it's very hard to make that work. And the advice that you guys gave you, we get you a long way towards your goal of a healthier emotional life. Or right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr dot com the song this week we had an upswell of positive feelings about the appearance of televangelist Jed on a recent episode so I thought we would take you out with a bit of a prequel. A bit of a maybe you'll see the origins of the Televangelist Mm. Jed character in this pool house guru track based on Psalm twenty for one tank at that. Thanks for listening to this one. We love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: To say that podcast, people love it enough to smuggle meats past international customs, and we love them right back for it. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, except the stuff that's mine, right? Because that stuff is mine, so. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, except the stuff that's mine. Stuff mine. Oh, okay, well, if you say so. Earth is the Lord's and everything in it is mine. Except the stuff that's mine. Stuff mine That stuff is mine There was a rich man and his land produced a hearty crop himself what should I do I don't have any place to store my crops hallelujah then he said this is what I'll do thank you Jesus I will tear down my barns and build be better ones lords and all live Stored away for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Have yourself a good old time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That stuff is mine. mine. Earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Mine, mine, Except mine. The stuff that's mine. That stuff is mine. Earth is the Lord's and all who live in it. Except of course for me. Not. Wow!